Remember, hire the handicapped, but don't let them take your rectal temperature. Stay tuned now for... Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Zilla X-Pod. Tonzilla X-Pod. Howdy, Tonzilla Files, and welcome to Escaping the Cave, the Tonzilla X-Pod. I'm Christopher Media at ChristopherMedia.net. Also on uh, iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff, as well as SoundCloud. Thanks for clicking back over this week. Trying to get these things up to uh, at least two or three times. A little shorter, a little more frequent than I've done in uh, past iterations of this. I'm going to get into something a little dark. This isn't going to be something... If you're if you're seeking sausage party hope today, my friends, perhaps you've had a bad day and you need something uplifting, this ain't going to be it. I apologize. At least I let you know in advance, right? One thing I noticed in the last podcast, in the first couple actually, I sound a little strange every now and then, like I'm sort of slurring, perhaps like I've had a stroke. This is not the case. Your friendly neighborhood Toddzilla is perfectly, well, not perfectly healthy, <laughs> but I'm pretty healthy. Now, I uh, had some dental work done in Peru last year, root canal bridge work, you know, and while I was down there, it got infected. Right? Took antibiotics and all that. Thought it had cleared up. But I found out in December, when I started abscessing, that the infection never went away in this tooth. <laughs> so, more fun in dentistry in the last couple of months. I had the tooth uh, extracted. And it's one of my front teeth. I'm, not, I'm too vain to run around with a hole in my face. right? So, I've, I've started the process of getting an implant done. But the infection actually ate the bone. Isn't this disgusting? Yeah, whatever. You're adults, right? Deal with it. <laughs> so I've had to, had to have a bone graft done. And that takes a couple of months for it to sort of take, right? So now I have this little flipper in my mouth. And it comes down off the top of my mouth. And so every now and then I stand like this. I haven't quite adapted to it 100%. I'm getting better, but I noticed it in the last podcast. I went through to listen to it. It's like, oh, okay. I sound special needs. Anyway, I hope you're having a good week. Uh, interesting things are afoot here nationally in the uh, <laughs> political. You can't get away from Donald Trump. It's impossible. Now, I'm sitting here recording this late or early, I guess, Tuesday morning. So this should drop later on today. And as I sat down, I noticed that something came across my uh, news ticker that Steve Mnuchin has declined the Senate or the Congress or the House of Representatives request, whatever it is, for six years of Donald Trump's tax returns. They're entitled to that. (laughs) But Mr. Mnuchin said, nope, I'm not going to give it to you. That just happened. Tomorrow is going to be, or today was, I guess, from your perspective, probably a fecal show. Again. Again. Demands by uh, the House of Representatives for um, McGahn to submit a whole slew of documents related to uh, the Mueller investigation. Also, Donald Trump is now saying that he's not going to allow... He's not going to allow (laughs) McGahn to testify to the House of Representatives, the Intel Committee. He doesn't have the authority to decide that. You understand that, right? (sighs) You know what? We should just get into this because that's where we're going today. So let's get started. (laughs) 
pieces fit because I watched them tumble down. No fault, none to blame. It doesn't mean I don't desire to point the finger, blame the other, watch the temple topple over to bring the pieces back together, rediscover communication. Tool, schism, perfect. This could run exceedingly long. I have a lot of material here and I'm probably going to end up busting this one up again. So let's get right at it. I'm talking about the Don McGahn thing earlier. Trump presuming to think that he has the executive power, the executive privilege to prevent or stop someone, to order someone not to testify to Congress. A complete and total naked violation of the constitutional separation of powers and oversight. This is simple, fundamental uh, civics, kids. This is fundamental of how your government functions. It's 250 freaking years old, man. Mr. Trump does not have the authority, but he's presuming uh, uh, to take it. I've got a whole thing here later on, and I'm trying to figure out how to do this because I could just jump directly into how... The institutions are melting down right before your eyes. Right now, these days, I'm going to repeat this later on, these days are going to be written about. We are living history right now. We are living something peculiar right now that people are going to study. They're going to look back at this time. Not only the political turmoil, but also what we're doing to ourselves via this uh, advent of uncontrollable technology that we are clearly not ready for, and how we are descending into something terrifying. You know, I, I'm just going to get into what I have here, and hopefully it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, one line that survived, you know... Let me give you a little background. I do have some new listeners here. So when I started the podcast in 2014, <clears throat> excuse me, I was deep, deep up in it, into this anti-Tea Party position. It started with Sarah Palin. I started off uh, as sort of a libertarian. Uh, Sarah Palin dropped herself into the scene, and <laughs> that began what I call the ideological drift to the far left. I became so anti-Palin and eventually anti-Tea Party that the drift continued to where I found myself in the resistance camp after Trump was inaugurated. Uh, still, there's a part of my brain that's like, oh my God, how? So I fell into that trap for about, I guess, three months until... A friend of mine pointed out an inconsistency in something I had posted on Facebook that I had gotten from Rachel Meadow, and I started to extract myself 
from that cult to where I am in the middle of nowhere. I have no political home now. I'm sure as hell not a Trumpian. I cannot acquiesce to leftism either. This radicalizing Tweedledee to Trump's Tweedledum. I can't do it. So I'm, I'm sort of, I think like a lot of people, stuck in the middle, homeless. I'm a political orphan looking for any place to call home that doesn't stink like Jonestown. Right? And I think what I've found, what I've sort of stumbled upon, is this thing that uh, I've seen uh, mostly on Twitter. And it's not really, I wouldn't call it a uh, cohesive movement, but what they define themselves as are classically liberal. It's one of those things that goes back to fundamental founding principles of the Enlightenment, reason, fundamental basic American principles that were decided on 250 years ago. The founders of this country were exceedingly radical for their time. You know, one of the lines that survived my resistance days, 240-some-odd years ago, conservatives were loyalists, right? In 1775, conservatives were loyal to King Joffrey III, right? Or at best, if they weren't exactly loyalists, they were timid and afraid of what might happen if the country declared its independence. And the founder's chief roadblock, aside from the aforementioned King Joffrey III, uh, was homebound cynicism and the fear of failure in the face of an uncertain fight and an uncertain future. But despite that, the founders sort of rallied around a common enemy, the king, parliament. And they set up uh, a set of basic abstract principles based in humanism, reason, the enlightenment, human rights, freedom. They, they crafted the American narrative, a story. And the first thing I talked about in my uh, podcast last week uh, was cohesive stories. And it seems clear to me, clear, I mean crystal clear, the obvious new quote-unquote patriotic narrative that we need right now to fuse us back together is staring us straight in the face. And no, it's not Donald Trump. It's Putin, election interference. Not only in 2016, but also the, well, they've already said, it's going to continue into the election next year. Remember that old line after the Soviet Union fell about how we always seem to need a new enemy, a new boogeyman, and if we don't have it, we'll contrive it? Yeah, we do. It's starting to make a lot of sense now. Because if we don't do that, there's this line from Dostoevsky, an idea from Dostoevsky that I got from um, 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 Notes from the Underground, that when things are good, when things are too easy, when people don't have a struggle, a fight, they'll make one. And that's kind of what I think is happening here. I think we're turning on ourselves in the absence of real, authentic struggle. I mean, struggle defines human beings in a number of ways. If people don't have something to fight for, if they are, are not sort of ascending the mountain toward that imagined city on high, <laughs> they have no sense of purpose and no sense of meaning a lot of times. It's like you get there, you climb the mountain for two weeks, and you get to the summit, and you look around for ten minutes and you're bored. Yeah. 
It's the getting there. It's the quest. It's the moving forward, climbing the mountain, climbing the hill. And when you don't have that, when you don't have that cohesion, that battle to fight, be it a common external enemy, poverty, something, you will look for anything else to substitute that. That's according to Dostoevsky. Now, Dostoevsky used that to sort of discredit the entire notion of utopia. It can't exist because of human nature. I mean, there are a hundred, probably a thousand people who have said the same thing about the conflict between utopia and human nature. But I think he put it, in my mind, the best, is that it's too good. It's too perfect. It's like it's in the Matrix, right? Where Agent Smith says, you guys just rejected it. It was perfect, and you would not accept it. That's anti-utopianism. Burrowed into the human mind. Probably in my head, I've always equated it to sort of residue of the old survival instinct from the jungle. The need to fight and survive. We don't have, what do we have to fight and survive for now? Where is that ancient survival instinct being deployed? Probably isn't. And it's probably sort of like a, a cell phone signal. Remember when they used to roam? Trying to find something to grab onto. But yeah, it's starting to make a whole lot of sense as far as the common enemy. And as far as election interference goes, Trump's doing absolutely nothing about this. Neither, by the way, are the Democrats. Except bitching about it. But Trump's not. He had a uh, sort of a, a confab with Putin in the last few days, and he didn't even mention it. Oh, they talked about the Mueller report, but they did, he didn't even bring up <laughs> interference in our election. Now, that seems egregious, right? It's not. It makes perfect sense. You have to think about this from... <laughs> don't... I know you don't want to go here, but you got to think about it from Trump's perspective here. He cannot risk delegitimizing his presidency any further. Not to mention, it's painfully, embarrassingly obvious he wants their help again next year. He thinks he needs their help again next year. So not only can he acknowledge... or. Excuse me, let me rephrase that. Not only can he not acknowledge Russian interference in the 2016 election because it would delegitimize his election, which wasn't by much. He lost the popular vote, remember? And we all know how sensitive he is, how insecure he is about that and his support. Biggest crowd to, a, to an inauguration ever. So despite all the bluster... Blah, 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 blah. He wants the disinformation campaign as long as it's directed toward his uh, electoral interest. He can't do anything about this from his perspective. Country be damned. I mean, this is completely selfish. But do you, do you think Donald Trump has his country's best interest at heart? Does anybody believe that? Do Republicans even believe that? Do Trumpians even believe that in their heart of hearts if they have one? You can't do it. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I mentioned the McGahn testimony. 
And by interfering with that, threatening to stop it, even though he lacks the authority, he does not have the authority to do this, but he might try. It seems pretty clear to me that regardless of what's in the Mueller report, how is this not continued? Obstruction. How does it not continue right in plain sight? How is he not obstructing the investigation? Therefore, the Senate investigation, the congressional investigation, sorry, that is their right. They have the power as an an equal co-branch of government. They have the power of oversight over the executive branch. By interfering with that, obstructing it, huh? he may be obstructing justice still. But of course, meanwhile, (laughs) the self-righteous unity via division opposition, doing that in quotes, opposition, they can't get out of their own cannibalistic ways still. Much, much more on that's coming. Stick around for that. (sighs) I've been reading a uh, Thomas Jefferson biography the last couple of weeks. Now, I'm no... Admittedly, I'm no historical uh, scholar, but conservatives, I'm speaking directly to you now. It does not take a constitutional scholar to figure out that Thomas Jefferson, if you're a constitutionalist, an old-timey, small-government conservative, Thomas Jefferson would be demanding Trump's metaphorical head, if not the literal one right now, were he alive today. He would also simultaneously that he despise this green tea movement. It's increasingly authoritarian bent. Now, maybe I'm being a little presumptuous here. I, I, I can't speak directly for the dead man. <laughs> but Jefferson, as well as Thomas Paine, also hated the idea of tyrannizing over posterity. You know, holding future generations prisoner to the thoughts and beliefs of what they called their barbarous ancestors. In other words, they would expect that in times like these, not only would we take care of the problem, but they would probably also expect some sort of generational update, sort of a firmware update done to the Constitution, done to at least, if not the Constitution, at least reforms, repairs done to the systems of government to keep this from continuing and from happening again, more importantly. They didn't write the Constitution for it to be permanent, lasting forever, like Mount Rushmore. They wanted people living in their own time to be able to update it. They didn't want it to be subject to the passions of the mob. That's why it's so difficult to amend the Constitution. But they did not intend the form of government to be static for eternity. These changes don't need to be wholesale, but if the, if the last several years have shown us anything, is that the political parties and the elements of basic government, just simple, basic, fundamental government, are in need of repair, desperately, particularly the political parties. I mean, how is there any question, any question, to the positive or negative, doesn't matter, but how is there any question as to whether a sitting president can even be indicted? That's, that's basic stuff. It's sheer madness. I mean, it seems really clear to me that Jefferson would be horrified at what's happening today, what's happened to the uh, political parties, and have no political home in contemporary times. 
I mean, in my view, he probably would advocate and lead in some sort of purging reforms that I mentioned. You know, the political parties and the institutions themselves. Just purge them. Plunge them. Give them a diuretic. But only after the biopsy and extraction of the constitutional tumor that's metastasizing in the White House, spreading to other parts of government. Donald Trump is the poster child for what the framers had in mind when they conjured up impeachment proceedings. And for any Trump supporter to think that they have claim to Thomas Jefferson now, (laughs) or any of the founders for that matter, if you're a Donald Trump supporter and you think you can lay claim to Jefferson, Adams, any of the founding fathers, that's silly. You have no claim to anything, anything constitutional now, if you continue to support this man. Your claim to constitutional fundamentalism is null and void. It's delusional, actually. I mean, how can you watch the executive branch hijack and corrupt the judicial branch? As happened with Bill Barr. How can you watch it thumb its nose at the legislative branch and its power of investigation, its power of subpoena? McGahn was subpoenaed. Also the power of the purse with the wall. And then how can you turn around and claim, oh, that you love the Constitution and American values? How can you do that with a straight face? The intellectual dishonesty here is obscene. I'm no fan of the Democrats. I am not a Democrat. I, am, I lean left. I'll admit that bias a little bit. I am far closer to fundamental American values and principles than you are. Your claim to constitutionality and love and admiration for the Founding Fathers is fraudulent. If you continue to support that man and what he's doing to our institutions. You cannot say that and maintain a degree of credibility. I don't know how you can say it and not feel like a filthy whore. I don't. I'm not saying that to be mean. I literally mean that. If I were to say that, if I were a Trump supporter and out of the other side of my mouth or out of my butt, I started farting off something about the Constitution, I would feel like a filthy whore. How do you not? I mean, I can explain it. Jonathan Haidt. Something I'm going to start calling elephantitis. Not today, though. You know another thing Jefferson might do today? Might just string himself up from the Washington Monument and jump. (laughs) Yeah, he'd either lead the reform or he'd hang himself. I don't know 100% which one it would be. Again, I'm going to say this again, and I'm going to come back to this. You cannot, with any principled intellectual honesty, profess your love for Trump, his congressional loyalists, and the Constitution at the same time. You cannot do that with any intellectual honesty or credibility. I mean, forget the the breakdowns of institutions for the moment, okay? Just for now. I'll get to that. But it's full frontal, arrogant attack on, and the corruption of basic separation of powers— Fundamental stuff, basic stuff, executive, judicial, legislative, checks and balances. He's hijacked the judicial branch. 
He's thumbing his nose at the executive branch. It's a naked power grab. Corruption, corrosion of the institutions, the three branches of government. That should be enough, you would think, to make it apparent to all but the Jim Jonesiest of Trump Town. Where are you? Where are you people? I have the answer, and I know what you're saying, and I know what you're thinking, and I don't fully disagree with you. The problem is, where else do you go? Were you supposed to go to intersectional grievance studies class? <laughs> You're not wrong there. I get it. Where are you supposed to go indeed? Where are any of us supposed to go? Also, here's something else to think about. What if Trump's actually right about things like Obama-era improprieties, like the FBI investigators sent to infiltrate and spy on his campaign in 2016. What if he's right about that? I mean, he's certainly right about Obama's failure to act prior to the election in defense of uh, election interference back in 2016. He had the information. He knew it was going on. He didn't, he didn't do anything about it. So where does the batshit left expect refugees from the Trump-infested Republican Party to go. Where does the batshit... I'm going to ask this again. Where does the batshit left expect refugees from the Trump-infested Republican Party to go? Where? <laughs> now, despite everything I've said just now to Trump supporters and constitutional conservatives, I don't even want to vote for you. You make me just as sick as Trump supporters do. Now, of course, I am not fully representative of the entire country, blah, 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 blah. You have to say that these days. Well, you don't speak for everybody. Well, no kidding. But I, I, I can tell you this. I am not alone. <laughs> not by a long shot. Here's another lesson from Jefferson. Why have a revolution? Why fight the good fight even? Or any fight? Only to have authoritarian shit replace authoritarian shit. Why bother? Why have the bloodshed? Why take the, the punch to the nose, so to speak? It's simple to me. I mean, if I have to choose between Orwell's Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I'm going to pick the totalitarian that likes me. <laughs> that advocates for me. Self-interest, man. To expect anyone not to support the lesser of two demons when they themselves are the explicit target, at least a lot of the time, it's unreasonable. It's laughable. It's outright asinine. I question the intelligence of anyone who actually believes that someone else should be expected to so blatantly ignore their own self-interest. It doesn't make any sense. This is why you haven't figured out how you couldn't even get white women in 2016. You couldn't even get the female vote against Trump, the pussy grabber. I'm telling you, you don't have to believe me. The big reason why. You have to quit expecting people to supplicate themselves to someone else. 
to put their self-interest behind someone else's because you came up with a cute phrase called white privilege. It's asinine. There's no other word. Retarded. Does that bother you, hippie? You're being retarded. How can you support Republicans, Todd? They're the party of climate change denial, anti-vaxxers, and the flat earth. Yeah, 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 fine. You know what? I see all that, and I raise you intersectional grievance studies, critical theory, postmodernism, and this, <laughs> this gender-based pseudoscience has been deployed to actually make men competing, competing in quotes, as women, somehow sound like equality. Trans uh, men whose little gender voice in their heads tells them they're women, so they think, because they, I guess they're doping now, that it's okay to go compete on the girls' field. What the hell is wrong with you? I've seen the stuff. I've seen all the uh, rhetoric. It reeks of anti-vax science. It reeks of flat Earth science. It's the same stuff, man. It's the same idea. It's just coming from your side. This one's really special to me. This 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 gender thing when where boys want to compete on girls teams and with girls. I mean, there's a boy who's trying to compete as a transgender girl in female powerlifting. And people are listening to this. How can you if there's no biological difference, if the only difference between men and women is testosterone, why are there not juiced up women who think they're men? setting weightlifting records and winning competitions. If that's the only thing. Does this make any sense to you? Where is the transgendered, I don't even know how to say it, where is the, the chick who thinks she's a boy dominating in the NCAA now? Or even competing in the NCAA? Performance-based athletics. Where are they if there's no difference? If all it is is testosterone treatments. It's irrational. I can drag up 15 studies conveniently put together to say that climate change is fake. Somebody did a study saying that vaccinations cause autism. So the anti-vaxxers point to that. You're doing the same exact thing. Wrapping it in a burrito of bullshit. Very articulate and clever bullshit, but you know what? Bullshit nonetheless. And I'm supposed to... (laughs) I'm supposed to just jump over and say, well, you're not Trump. God, thank you. Kiss my ass. Again, I mentioned it a minute ago. One of the one of the surefire signs of a would-be authoritarian is attacking objective, accepted truth. Critical theory. And not only is that also coming from the left, they're attacking simple agreed-upon definitions now. Words. Staples of the English language. What is a woman? Let's discuss what is a woman. We know what a woman is. They've known it for thousands and thousands of years. But now because the little gender voice in somebody's head said she's not a woman. Or wait, no, she says she is a woman. I can't even keep it straight. It's ignorance wrapped in ostentation. Ignorance trying to sound smart. Convenient, agenda-fed ignorance wrapped in ostentation. Attacking objective truth. We know what a woman is. 
we've always known from the beginning of time. Everybody's always known what a woman is until now. Until the little gender voice in somebody's head pops up and says, I demand my accommodation in the name of the holy God of cosmic justice. Oh, the other one. This one's a classic. It was sort of like, well, crap, you know, we can't invoke racism as much as we'd like. We'd like to do that whenever we can. So let's redefine racism and tie it into another mythology, white privilege, power. Oh, then only white people can be really like that. <laughs> I'm sure the meeting went just like that. It's a judgment call and I'm making it. This cultish anti-intellectualism is not limited to the right. It's bipartisan. For every Kellyanne and Trump on the right, I'm finding more and more on the left. I'll repeat this later, maybe in the next podcast. Again, this one's running long just like last week. Not everybody, a high percentage of people don't think like this. Most of the people, according to most studies anyway, and I, I tend to agree with this, but most people, <clears throat> excuse me, reside somewhere in the middle. They don't care about this stuff. It's just the loudmouths out on the fringe that make it sound that way. But the problem is, with social media and Twitter, mostly, that those voices are over-amplified. Politicians, activists, they all coexist inside of this amplified echo chamber. And it's been written that, you know, these politicians probably are getting a really skewed idea of how large these extremely loud and screeching activist voices really are. Some people look at it and say, well, the general population is pretty moderate, so they'll elect a moderate. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. It's dangerous thinking to think that it does. I can give you two examples of why that is. One is very recent. The Tea Party. They said the same thing. Remember when the Tea Party sort of slithered out of the swamp a few years ago? Oh, it's just the extremists, just the fringes. Not everybody thinks that way. They're not a real threat. Just the loud mouths. Remember that? Well, that's what they're saying about the people on the left now. I have four examples of people that I can think of right off the top of my head who have said the exact same thing. I would like you to track in your head, I'll give you a couple of seconds, the rise of the Tea Party to Trump's inauguration, how that happened. Remember? Uh-huh. It started as a fringe organization, a fringe group of loudmouths who managed to affect party policy, plank, and platform. Drug the entire party to the right. And here it comes. Are you ready for it? Oh, I think I see where this is going. Hitler reference. <laughs> a Nazi party in the 1920s. Started in a room, like 10, 12 people, something like that. And look what happened. That's how these things start. And the wild card here is social media. We've never had to account for a communication tool this pervasive, this immediate, and this unaccountable. 
It overamplifies voices. It gives politicians and party leaders, political leaders, skewed impressions of what their base wants. It pushes other people, moderate people, pushes them away from the political process altogether. They don't speak up. Why, why would they speak up? Why would anybody in the middle actually, other than me, <laughs> well, why would they speak up? To be shouted down by both sides? So they just step away and let these other people fight. But the problem is these other people who are fighting and proselytizing, preaching, activizing, trying to revolutionize, those are the voices that are heard by the political leaders who share the platform. This is a wild card. We have not been here. We have been here, but we haven't been here yet. We are writing the schematic for how this technological experiment is going to play out. We don't know. It's kind of terrifying, actually. But again, the cultish anti-intellectualism isn't limited to one side. But I can tell you this, there is a plague suffocating college campuses not only in the U.S. and Canada, also in Europe. And by suffocating, I mean the free expression of ideas. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This isn't a misinterpreted trend. The free expression of ideas outside of the liberal norm is under attack on college campuses all over the country. They're interrupting speakers. They're attacking the equipment. They're having their speaking engagements canceled thereby judging and determining for other students what they are allowed to hear on that campus. And some of these people find, you know, I don't mind the white nationalists and the, the white supremacists and Milo. I don't really give two shits about those people. But when it starts happening to reasonable, thoughtful people who are just out to say, sort of promote another point of view, that aren't steeped in white nationalism or white supremacy. That is a problem, and it's moved there. If you're not seeing it, check your information sources. Check your perspective, Moonbeam. Are you sure it's not happening that way, or do you just approve of this sort of stifling of, of speech and ideas? I suspect that's a lot of it. If you're not aware of this, you probably have skewed what's going on in your own mind because you actually you know, kind of like it. You like the idea of the suppression of that idea, but you never stand for this idea over here being suppressed. It's fundamentalism. You're no different than Westboro Baptist Church at this point. You understand that? One-sided. Nobody who's not a fundamentalist comes into this congregation. We only have the accepted scripture preached here. It's not only anti-intellectual, it's anti-American. Oh, did that sound too patriotic for you, hippie? Deal with it. I don't know if I put this in the first podcast. No, I haven't yet, have I? Well, I'll get into that. Another one of my favorite things from George Orwell was talking about how the left doesn't understand, cannot comprehend the power of patriotism and how it's a huge, huge, huge mistake that they've let it go. Patriotism is always more powerful than class, race, all of it. Most liberals have no concept of that. They don't understand how hatred of their own country, how that can be so... Uh, what's the word? Triggering. 
to people who actually do love and appreciate their country, feel loyalty toward it, pride in it. You'll never get that. You can't understand it. And that's a mistake, and that's a failing you're always going to have. Leftists have always had that failing. Again, small bands of extremists proven over and over again that they can infect larger organisms, hijack the entire body. Tea Party to Trumpism, baby. You have to be blind, dumb, and holding your head beneath the sand, not to say the same photonegative traits are polluting the left, the alternative to Trumpism. And beyond that, we have a precedent for where out-of-control leftists will lead. A liberal screech and howl about how racism is being let out of its cage, right? Hear it every day. Racist, racist, I can't believe these racists, blah, 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 blah. You know, so is Marxism. It's true. I'm not saying that hyperbolically either. I'm not saying, oh, you Marxist. You're a Democrat, you're a commie. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this literally. There was a time, not so long ago, in a land not so far away, before this latest attack of historical amnesia struck anyway, when saying that you were a Marxist in public, in this country, was on par with praising NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, or endorsing child molestation. Saying you were a Marxist would get you the same reaction. Not anymore. I've noticed it. I've seen it. A significant uptick. Swear to God, I've been paying attention. Not intentionally. I started paying attention because I kept seeing it. But there's been a significant uptick in strutting Marxism over the last few months. Definitely the last year. People loudly, proudly, and literally, proper use, literally, proclaiming their love of communism. Communism. Now, (laughs) I'm sorry, but if you think communism's actually preferable to run-of-the-mill redneck racism, (laughs) a condition we've managed to endure for 250 years or so, the racists, we probably, I'm sorry to say, don't have much else to say to each other. And I can promise you that uh, listening to this podcast, moving forward, will always be an exercise in masochism. If you are a communist and you support Marxism, and you think it's preferable to anything that's going on in this country. I got nothing to say to you. I don't even have anything I want to say to you. It just, we're done. We don't have a basis for a continued conversation. We had the communist conversation years ago, decades ago, in the 30s and 40s. The war was fought for the next 45 years. Between capitalism and communism. To exhume Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin's corpses, then pretend you're engaging in a battle of ideas. This happened to me this week. In my mind, again, it's infantile, deserving of mockery. I'm trying to move away from that. That mockery thing, this is one area where I think it's okay. It's fine. Arguing with a Marxist is like arguing that Santa Claus really flies on his reindeer. Or maybe it's like you're, you're Norman Bates knocking at my door. 
right? And asking me if I have a few moments to hear mother's grand design idea. That corpse doesn't need to be exhumed. It doesn't need to be taken out of the attic and taken for a walk, man. Let it sleep. Failed miserably. It will always fail miserably. Human nature. Corruption. Power. Sorry, Norman. That bitch is dead. And <laughs> you're out of your damn mind. So yeah, lefties, that's where your batshit fringe is dragging you. Again, I ask, why trade horse shit for pig shit? Even when I was a resistance member, I could not stand Nancy Pelosi. She has the habit of just rubbing people the wrong way. No, it's not because she's a woman. She's annoying. Off-putting in a lot of ways. But she's the voice of reason today. The loudest one that I can find. Read an article this weekend. She implored Democrats to embrace the center. Implored them. Run to the middle for reasons that not long ago would have seemed wildly conspiratorial. Political fantasy fiction. Run to the center in order to bludgeon Trump so badly next year that he cannot contest the election or simply ignore the outcome. I know. I know. Sounds ridiculous to some of you, huh? Still, does it, does it though? Where are you at? Raise your hands if you think that's ridiculous. If you still think that idea is ridiculous, I want to I see you. Sounds ridiculous, huh? Any more ridiculous than the idea of Donald Trump being president sounded in December of 2015? We're in uncharted territory here. The impossible is possible. The ludicrous isn't anymore. Donald Trump is the most transparent Insecure, propagandist, and authoritarian ever. Is there a close second? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. One of the first things he did upon entering the Republican race a couple of years ago, three years ago, almost three and a half years ago, was to attack all anti-Trump coverage. And God knows it was wall-to-wall everywhere but Fox, right? Any anti-Trump coverage was branded as fake news. That was one of the very first things he did. And that was one of the first alarm bells that I personally uh, heard go off. And I said so publicly. I'm like, hey, this is not, uh, no. <laughs> That's dangerous. Y- y- oh, you're attacking. Oh, boy. That's where he's going to go with this, huh? Then that summer, before the election, when it looked like Hillary was going to win, well, it looked that way up until the night before the election, didn't it? Then he started talking about the Democrats possibly, quote, stealing the election. Remember that? He's returned to that refrain quite often over the last couple of years. His base is primed. His base is receptive. His base is eager to frame a close loss in the 2020 election to another coup attempt. That's how they see the Mueller report. An attempted coup. It won't be hard to sell a close defeat as a stolen election to Trump's base. (laughs) It'll be easy. They want to believe it anyway. So she's right about that. Nancy, I'll tell you, I don't like her. Can't stand her face. But as a politician, I respect the hell out of her. 
from what I've seen, at least in the last year. And she knows what she's talking about. She's eminently qualified to be talking about such things. More so than Kirsten or Kristen Gillibrand or Cory Booker or any of these other candidates who are trying to yank your leash to the left. You need to listen to Nancy. She knows about which she speaks. I would highly suggest listening to Joe Biden as well. You need to look at his poll numbers among moderate Democrats. If you want the center, you need the center. Screw wanting the center. I don't care if you want the center or not. You need it. If you intend to beat that man in 2020, you have got to have the center. You have a choice to make. Narcissistic identity politics, the politics of me. No, me. No, me. Or a big tent. Appealing to repairing institutions. Functional government. A government we can all actually trust. Referees we can trust. Compromise. Getting things done. Actually accomplishing something when you go to Washington. You have got to have the center. If you go left, you go hard left. Even if you win, you've lost. You're going to get nothing done. Nothing. Your liberal messiah, your far-left progressive messiah, is going to be neutered with a hot butter knife on Inauguration Day. You'll get nothing through Congress. A Green New Deal? Come on. What is that? It's rhetorical masturbation. You're never going to get that through Congress. In this environment, how the hell do you, how do you even see that happening? An executive order? Are you going to be the liberal Trump? How do you see this working out for you? You have got to run to the center. Another question for you. Please entertain me and tell me how it is you envision Donald Trump giving a concession speech or even saying he was beaten in anything. This is a guy who will claim the other guy cheated at tic-tac-toe, for Christ's sakes. But yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait as you sort of sketch out the scene in your mind, the scene where Trump leaves the White House peacefully and willingly. Love to hear about it. I'm not going to quit saying this. I'm going to say it every week, every episode, maybe more than once. The left needs to abandon the politically correct narcissistic bat shittery now and until the man is deposed from his throne in the Oval Office. Embrace large tent appeal. Embrace conciliation. Embrace compromise within your party and outside of it. You need to flood the center hard, soon. Repudiate. Listen to me. Repudiate the far-left elements. Do it loudly. Do it unequivocally. Now, for the love of God, please do not make the mistake Republicans made with the Tea Party and pander to extremism over internal compromise or external compromise. We're never going to compromise with them libtards. Ooh, you're a rhino. How can you not see those traits mutating into yourselves? How? Maybe I gave you too much credit. Creep! 
realized that this show needed a little break. Just something to kind of <laughs> lighten things up just a little bit, right? Come tail away with Cartman's always good for that, right? It's the Escaping the Cave podcast. Full disclosure, it's now the next day. I had a uh, had this thing all produced, ready to go. And turned the news on today and found out that uh, <laughs> this whole McGann thing is going in the crapper. Going in the pooper. You want it in the pooper, don't you? Well, you're going to get it in your pooper. <sighs> Executive privilege on the documents uh, subpoenaed by Congress. So, you know, we're setting the standard here. I mean, all future crises are no longer going to be judged by the standard of Watergate. It's going to be Donald Trump. I mean, we are writing the comparative draft future generations are going to use. We're writing that right now. And we have to stop these comparisons with Nixon. We're off the map now. And it seems like a lot of us are waiting for the system to sort of check and balance itself. I know I am. I keep waiting for this. I keep waiting for somebody to stand up. And, you know, sort of waiting for this chain reaction of sensibility to strike. And it's not happening. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's not going to happen. I don't see how it can. I think I said earlier, Trump's loyalists in Congress do not represent you or the Constitution or anything else. They represent the Republican Party and protecting its power structure. And Democrats, on the other hand, again, are about to define themselves much like the Republican Party did with the Tea Party. They're going to have to decide eventually, soon, between extremism or compromise. And for us political refugees, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? It's in danger of becoming that metaphorical choice between, here it is, you ready? Hitler, another reference, and Stalin. Except, at least in, the, in old Europe, those two simple figures for evil were in separate countries fighting each other. Here, no. It's all right here, right here, right inside the same border. Look, classic liberalism is the only thing that I can find. It's not a political party. It's not a political organization. It's an oasis grounded in basic apolitical American values. It's the only thing I've got. Traditional Enlightenment principles based on basic individual freedom and actual equality, not the euphemistic kind disguising a victim culture hell-bent on vengeance. You know, determined to tear down their interpretation of an oppressive social order only to build another one, but this time with themselves as the oppressor because it's their turn. It's a place for me, personally, place to get out of the rain, to get off the back roads that are filled with drunks ramming their cars into each other. And <laughs> that's not a bad metaphor, because it feels like a slow-motion car crash right before our eyes. Yep, keep waiting for that common sense to take over, you know, something higher than political victory. And again, it's not. No Messiah's coming. Our political Jesus hath forsaken us. Institutional meltdowns. Every single day, a little bit further, a political Chernobyl is triggering loss of belief, faith, loss of basic confidence in the entire structure. And I'm afraid that's going to lead to the governed 
the people, we the people, revoking the contract, withdrawing their consent to be governed by a corrupt system, an untrustworthy system. Perspective is reality here. The details don't matter. If it's perceived as untrustworthy, it's untenable. And again, this is up to conservatives. They have to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And it's going to be up to people who are actually the patriots. The real patriots, not the paper kind wearing tea bags on their hats. It's going to be left up to the actual patriots. Not the paper kind, not the ones with the tea bags hanging over their heads, but the ones who actually believe in the ideas behind the American narrative. Instead of the ones who are just simply, you know, partisan team fanatics. Good luck. You know, as I think back on this podcast now, back at radio, we used to get numbers. We used to get ratings. They weren't very accurate, but we used to get them. And it would break down who listened to your show, supposedly. It occurs to me now that I'm afraid that my podcast demographics are going to be rather lacking in the females 18 to 34 demo. (laughs) You know, that's probably not true. I should give uh, women a lot more credit than that because I've seen it. A lot of you ladies out there understand exactly what I've been saying about this. And a lot of you actually agree with it. I know you do. I've heard you. Anyway, thanks for clicking in. It's going to wrap things up for this one. Still got this pile of material here. This Winter is Coming podcast that I keep teasing or <laughs> maybe threatening you with. And maybe I'll sit down. You know, I said I was going to sit down and voice it the other day. Never got around to it. I'll just get to it when I get to it. But it's coming. And uh, also going to get back to the social media disease stuff eventually. Obviously, all of this plays into pretty much everything I'm talking about. So I will get at that as well. X at gmail.com. It's always good to hear from some of you. They're SD and not so much. I'm just being honest, man. We'll talk to you next time. So long. Speaking as a transgendered, robotically intersectional oppressed woman, I demand justice and equal time. And my spot on the junior high girls soccer team. AI will enslave mankind. Soon. We are coming for you. We are coming for you. We are coming for you. Resistance is fucking futile. We are coming for you.